four of the series uncomfortable. Y'all been uncomfortable yet? <laughs> wow, I got some laughs. That's a good one. Hey, just want again, real quick, for those of you joining online today, we want to thank you for joining us and taking your Sunday morning to be with us here at First Baptist Church of Lantana as we continue and close out our series, Uncomfortable. And as a reminder, if you're watching online, whether it's via YouTube Live or Facebook Live, you know, don't let this be a replacement of you being connected with the local church where you can continue to work on your relationship with others and your relationship with Jesus Christ. But we are glad you're here. And more importantly, I'm glad y'all are here. I'm glad y'all are in the house this morning. So <laughs> uncomfortable. So we've been going through this for four weeks now. And, you know, the very first week we talked about embracing our discomfort. We talked about how, you know, certain aspects of Christianity are just uncomfortable. There's times in our life when things are just uncomfortable inside the church. And sometimes we really need to be able to embrace that discomfort and put away our own personal preferences for the work of Jesus Christ because it's definitely is not about us, it's about Jesus. And sometimes it's hard to embrace that and there's a discomfort that comes with it. Of course, then the second week we talked about the cross. And how ironic it is that the center of our faith is an execution device. And it's what we look to and how we have made the uncomfortable cross and what happened to Jesus Christ on that cross. We've made it way too comfortable in today's society. We wear a cross around our neck. We have crosses in our homes. We have crosses every place. But it's an execution device. And Jesus tells us we need to pick up our cross daily and follow him. And we need to embrace that uncomfortableness that really comes with the cross as we pick up our cross to follow him. And then last week, of course, we talked about uncomfortable people, which I do want to let you know is kind of uncomfortable for me as I was writing the sermon. And even as I presented the sermon to you guys, it was uncomfortable because I know I'm an uncomfortable person. I know I'm one of them uncomfortable people that I talked about. So it made me real uncomfortable coming up here and kind of having to talk about myself. Um, but the reality is we all know someone who is uncomfortable. We all know that uncomfortable person. And that uncomfortable person may be sitting right next to you. Now, don't be looking at each other. Okay? And I do see people looking at each other. But that's okay. We know you did it out of love and you were joking with each other. <laughs> so... But now this week, we're going to talk about countercultural comfort. Countercultural comfort. And I will encourage you, if you missed any of them last three messages, um, go to our YouTube channel, go to YouTube, look up FBC Lantana, and you can always go back and watch one of them over again. Um, I actually go back and I've watched a couple of them over again, just for the simple fact that I almost kind of forgot what I said. And... <laughs> And then I went back and I started listening to it, and I was like, ooh, that hurt. Because a lot of times when I'm up here preaching, you know, I, I'm, I'm preaching. But then when I listen to it, I realize how much it actually may affect myself. Or I may see myself in part of the message saying, man, I, I, I've been doing that. So it's always good sometimes to go back and re-listen. I listen to a bunch of different pastors online. But if you've missed any of the series, go back, check it out. It's on YouTube. You can always look at it again. And then hopefully during this series, we've gotten a little more comfortable being uncomfortable. And maybe we've realized during this series that we're really a part of a bigger story. 
There's a bigger story inside God's word than just our uncomfortableness. And, and that following Jesus Christ isn't about having our best life now. Our best life is to come. You know, our best life is going to be in the future, and we've got to embrace that discomfort that we have in following Jesus. Because as we follow Jesus, especially in today's world, it is very countercultural the things that we do or the things that we say. But we can also find comfort in knowing who we are following. You know, and the reason behind this whole comfortable um, aspect of, of the Christian faith is about us embracing it, embracing those challenges so that we get a bigger picture of what Jesus is doing in our lives and what Jesus is doing inside this world. And if you really want to think about and look to how can we put all this uncomfortableness and close this, this series to, out, let's look at the apocalypse. Boy, you should see y'all's faces from up here. The apocalypse. You want to make people uncomfortable? Start talking about the end of the world. You want to feel uncomfortable? The apocalypse. Really, Pastor Kim? We're going to talk about the apocalypse today? Yeah, we're going to get a little uncomfortable. We're going to get uncomfortable and we're going to talk about the apocalypse because as Christians, and we look into the apocalypse, you kind of think, that's kind of crazy. But hidden inside the book of Revelation. Tucked away is a couple verses that should give us hope, should give us joy, and give us comfort as we continue to walk through this uncomfortable life. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one in the back of the pew. And as a reminder, the verses will always be up here on the screen. And if you're watching online, they'll come across the bottom of the screen. So with that, Revelations 19, verses 6 through 9. And I heard, heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed, her to be granted arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we take this time this morning, Lord, and we dig into your word and, and we look at the hope that we're to receive from you. Lord, may you open our eyes so that we can see what it is you want us to see. Open our hearts so we may receive it. And Lord, may your words be our words. May you be glorified through it all. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the ancient Greek... Um, the word apocalypse means something a little bit different than what we would think of when we think of the apocalypse and what we would understand today. You think about it generally when we think or we hear the apocalypse, we think of this big cataclysmic event. And we've seen it in movies and we've heard it and we've heard all of these different people through our time. I mean, how many different people have come up, the end of the world's going to end on this day and this month and, you know, we've all heard it. We've, some of you have heard the same guy give three different predictions on when the apocalypse is going to happen. And it hasn't happened yet. 
How about Y2K? Remember 1999? The world's going to end when the clock hits midnight and becomes 2000. It's going to end. Nothing's going to work. You know, you might as well go out now, buy your big house, buy your big car, buy whatever. Go ahead and sell everything you got and go live and be merry because the world's going to end. Now we're in 2021. World didn't end. How about 2012? The Mayans must have had it right. Hey, the Mayan calendar's going to run out, so at the end of the Mayan calendar, it's got to be the apocalypse. Didn't happen. And it's interesting that even today, the amount of different prophecy and doomsday prophecy you see, and it's still popular. It's still popular today, people talking about doomsday is coming, the apocalypse is coming. And yes, it is coming, but none of us know when. None of us know when. Jesus even says you're not going to know when. But there's still people out there trying to predict when it's going to happen. And I really wish you would like hurry up and come because I'm ready to meet Jesus face to face. You know, I am ready to meet him. Um, but it's just interesting how it gets so caught up. I mean, they even made a movie about it. You know, 2012. They've made movies about the apocalypse. Even, you know, you probably think about Independence Day. You know, fighting the aliens who are coming to take over the world. You know, all these different things. And it's very popular, unfortunately, in culture to talk about the apocalypse, but not talk about it the way God's Word talks about it. And I think it's interesting, however, the better understanding, I think, of the word apocalypse in this context isn't this big cataclysmic event. It is basically the unfailing of, unveiling of things not previously known. And that's exactly what is happening here today. We're, John is writing down some information given to him from the angel of the Lord that wasn't previously known. And I think the first thing we see is God has told us how the story ends. God has told us how the story ends. And praise God for that, that we know how the story ends. But even though we know how the story ends, we seem to fail living our life knowing how the story ends. Because we try and live in our comfort zone instead of being uncomfortable. You know, and as John begins to write this information down, he writes it down so that you and I could have this information today. So we could have that hope in knowing where it's going. And basically, he's telling us that this cosmic story ends with that joyful, long-awaited wedding feast. And we, as the church, are the bride. We're invited. We get to be there. We are the bride. We are the bride in this wedding feast. And, and life, you think about life, especially with inside a church, may be uncomfortable now. But we know that God has promised us eternal joy. We know that we have joy in the end. We know that we're going to have that comfort that only comes through him. But we need to understand that in the midst of this discomfort, in the midst of frustrations, challenges, whether it's in life or whether it's inside church at all, we need to look to the end because we know what happens in the end. We get that joy and we get that peace and we can get that peace that surpasses all other, all other understanding in the end. We're not necessarily going to get that today because we got to understand we're just pilgrims. We're sojourners in this world. We're just walking through this life and walking through this world. It's not our home. 
This is not where we end. This is not the, this is the pinnacle of my life right here. No, it's not. We're just walking through this life. But as we walk through this life, we want to get so comfortable and we hold on to things so tightly that we don't even enjoy the life we have. And our joy is to come. Our joy is to come when we meet Jesus face to face. Our joy is to come when we come together as the bride of Christ and join him at the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's where our joy should be. That's what we should be looking to. We shouldn't be looking to what makes us comfortable here. We should be very countercultural in everything that we do in this life. You know, and this reality, if, if we belong in Christ, we know that this isn't our home. Our home is someplace else. You know, and, and we know that in the end, we're going to have a place where these tired old bones get rest and we become new. We become that new creation. We get a new body. We get a brand new me, a brand new you. I know some of us can't wait. Man, I can't wait to get a brand new me. I'm putting in a request for my 20-year-old me. I don't know if I'm going to get my 20-year-old me, but that's the request I'm putting in. I want my 20-year-old body. I don't want my 56-year-old body. So, but that's what I'm hoping for. Um, but that's, a way, that's what awaits you and I. That's what awaits us. The joy that comes from it so we can endure the uncomfortableness of today because we know what's a, what awaits us in eternity. And that's what we got to look for. That's where our focus needs to be. So the reality is, as we begin to close out this series, if you actually look at it, God calls us to more than comfortable Christianity. God calls us to more than a comfortable Christianity. And I think we miss this. I think so many of us get this wrong. So many of us think, well, I accepted Jesus Christ, and you know, because I accepted him, he's going to fix some things. Well, yeah, he is going to fix some things, but it's not about you being comfortable. He's not going to call you into this comfortable life to just sit back in an easy chair. <clears throat> Jesus calls us into the uncomfortable. He doesn't call us into a comfort zone. And honestly, if you're going through a Christian life, you know, saying, hey, I'm comfortable. I have no worries in the world. My life is great. I'm just so comfortable. I never have to worry about anyone saying anything to me. That's mean. I never have to worry about pulling out my wallet and giving someone or giving the tithe. Or I never have to worry about any of that stuff. You're probably doing Christianity all, all wrong. You're definitely doing it wrong. If you're living that kind of life, you're living your Christian life wrong. Because that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to just sit back and relax. Jesus calls us to be uncomfortable. And in verses 7 and 8, he actually says... Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I love it. Has made herself ready. Has made herself. We as a church are going to make ourselves ready for the marriage supper of the lamb. Because you and I are going to be the bride of Christ. We are going to be the bride of Christ. And we're going to make ourselves ready. Now, for all you brides in the house, 
I don't think there's a bride in here that showed up for her wedding day in sweatpants and a t-shirt. Now, some of you may have like, man, I would have loved to just been in sweatshirt, sweatpants and a t-shirt. That would have been so much easier. But no, brides put a lot of focus into their wedding day. You think about it, you spend days, months, sometimes years planning your wedding. For some brides, since you were a little kid, you knew, oh, the day I get married, this is when I'm going to get married, and I'm going to wear this dress, and I'm going to have this hairstyle, and I'm going to wear this jewelry because I want to look so good for my groom. And years and years of planning, days and weeks of planning, trying to find the perfect dress, the perfect, everything has to be perfect on that day. You prepared yourself for your wedding. We as a church are no different. We have to prepare ourselves for the wedding feast of the Lamb. There are things we have to do, and being in a comfortable Christianity is not one of them. Now, it is interesting, if you look at it, that the preparation, and as they prepare herself, it's interesting you look at where the dress come from. The fine linens. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. God provided the dress. God provided the dress from our righteous acts. Now, that doesn't mean we can go out there and it's not about oh, I can get to heaven because I do good deeds. It's not about doing good deeds. Yes, we will do good things, but it's because of our faith, not because of we're trying to get to heaven. So our righteous acts are because of things that he calls us to do. But the fine linen, it's a gift from God, and we've got to accept it. He spares no expense and makes every sacrifice necessary so us as a bride will be showcased for him that we will be showcased for him. And this call to be made ready can be uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable because it requires life change on our part. It requires us to think a little differently. It requires us to do things that are against what the culture calls for. You know, out there today, you got so many people with the prosperity gospel, you know, Name it, claim it. If you can name it, you can claim it. It's all about feeling comfortable. It's all about, you know, oh, I want this. And God's word says I'm going to get this. So if I pray on it, I'm going to get this. And you got so many people that, that spin the gospel away from what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. And it's people looking for comfort, looking for that comfort zone to be into. And we all get caught up in it sometime or another. We get caught up in, well, God, I'm just tired. I'm tired, Lord. I just want to be comfortable. Can't I just take this week off? Can't I just take this month off? Lord, do I really have to do what you're calling me to do? I'm kind of tired, God. And he continues to, hey, that's okay. You can be tired. I'm going to give you rest. And I'm going to give you rest when? In the end. In the end, we will get our rest. And, and as a church, we shouldn't be like the world. We should be different than the world. And it's interesting because actually D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. When the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. 
And it's interesting, John Piper says something similarly, and I actually love this quote from John Piper. The more the church sounds and feels like the culture, the less people will feel they need to go. The more the church sounds and feels like the culture, the less people will feel they need to go. That's your prosperity gospel. That's those people who water down what God's word says and do not preach what God's word calls them to preach. Because if we're going to be like the world, why do they need to come in here? If we're going to be and do what the world says, why are they going to come inside the house? They're not. We should be different to make people say, hey, I don't know what it is about them, but I want it. I want what they've got. Because they are not going with the culture. And you know, it's interesting, in the culture today, you've got the smallest percentage of people making the biggest noise that everyone's focused on them. Everyone's focused on, that, on the smallest majority of people in the country because they got the biggest voice. The old saying, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And that's exactly what you're seeing in the world today. And you see the same thing inside the church. You see it inside churches all over the world, all over the U.S., especially in the U.S., because we want to be comfortable. We want to do what we want, when we want, and how we want to do it. Where we should be out there as a small voice in this world that we run in today, and especially the United States, which has become a very post-Christian, we should be the ones out there with the loud voice. Saying, hey, look in the end. I know how it ends. I know what God's word says. I want you to be with me at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Instead, we get in our own little holy huddles. And we just hang out together. And we don't try and reach out into the world. We should be the voice louder than the smallest percentage. Because believe it or not, as Christians, we're becoming a smaller and smaller percentage inside America. Are we going to let the culture take over the church or are we going to let the church take over the culture by being countercultural and get people to realize, hey, I need what they need. I need what they need. We can't be like the world. We need to be different. And when we're different, people will come to us because they will see a change in us. They will see something in us that they do not see in the world. Because if we're like the world, there's no reason to come. Because I can get what you're giving in church anywhere out there. I can go to concerts. I can go and watch people dance. I can watch light shows. I can do all of that from home. I can do all that. I've just got to go to a nightclub and I can see the same thing you see at some churches. Which is unfortunate, but it's the truth. We need to be different and we need to continue to strive. See, we've, we've forgotten... The unforgettable truth that Christianity with no teeth, with no offensive with, with no cost and no discomfort isn't really Christianity at all. It's not Christianity at all. We've got to continue to go forward. And it's often the uncomfortable parts of church and Christianity that grows and stretches us as individuals and grows and stretches the church to be effective in the world today. So we need to get out of our comfort zone and move forward. And it is, it's an uncomfortable living, you think about it. What kind of God would call people through such agony? 
What kind of God would tell people, hey, you, you got your family and your friends, but now you got to kick them to the side. You got to leave your family. You got to leave your friends. You got to say goodbye to people. What kind of God would do that? A righteous God. A God who knows that the deepest love is not built off of passion or romance, but on common mission and sacrifice. That's what we should be built on. That goodbye is really a see you tomorrow because we know where the end is. We know if someone is a believer in Jesus Christ, we will see them tomorrow. We will see them on another day. We will see them at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is so countercultural. This is so countercultural li living, and it's the kind of living that ought to characterize our life as Christians. And it's the kind of life that draws people to, to Christ. It will draw people to Christ because of the way we live our life. And you really think about it. Think about the Beatitudes in Matthew. The Beatitudes are very countercultural. In Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's kind of countercultural. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. That is against the culture. That is countercultural. And if that's what we're called to live and that's the way that we're called to live, won't people want to come and see it? How can you be like that? How can you be so countercultural and be happy? And it's interesting because the very end of the verses actually say this. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Be happy. Have joy living a countercultural life. Being humble. Seeking Jesus. Seeking him for everything he does. Seeking him for what he does in our life. Because he is going to bless the work that we do for him. And we're going to be blessed for it. Don't get caught up in what's going on in the world. Be different. Be the change that's out there. And all of this is important that we don't lose sight of the reality that the bride is not you. The bride is not I. It is the church. It is the church of Jesus Christ around this whole entire earth. It's not us four and no more. It's all of us together. It is every Christ follower around the world coming together. Jew, Gentile, slave, free. It don't matter. And it's not about denomination. Remember, denominations were man-made. They're not in the Bible. It's not about the denomination. It's about following Jesus Christ and being a follower of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we'll get caught, oh, well, there are the Catholics over there. There are going to be a lot of Catholics in church. There are going to be a lot of Catholics in heaven. 
There are going to be people in heaven that you're surprised are there. You're going to be like, really? And then there's going to be some people who aren't there. That's really going to shock you. But wait a minute. I thought they were holier than thou in their own eyes. We need to be countercultural and we need to be obedient to what God's word calls us to do. The call to be made ready is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable, but it requires that life-changing sacrifice and that we embrace the things that make us uncomfortable, the things that we try and avoid because we don't like them. And all of those things that we've talked about through this series need to look at them and embrace them. Embrace that uncomfortableness because you know you're doing what God's called you to do. It's absolutely necessary. And this should fill us with love for the body of Christ. It should encourage us to commit to coming to church. It should encourage us to grow the kingdom of God. Anything, this should encourage us to tell other people. This should encourage us to tell others about Jesus Christ. This should encourage us to go outside and be obedient to what God calls us to do. Practice it, believe it, and do it. Rod Dreyer actually says this. The best witness Christians can offer to post-Christian America is simply to be the church. As fiercely and creatively a minority as we can manage. Too many of our churches function as secular entertainment centers with religious morals slapped on top when they should be functioning as the living, breathing body of Christ. We will need to commit ourselves more deeply to our faith and we will need to do that in ways that seem odd to contemporary eyes. That's what we're called to do. That's who we are. Which takes us to point number three. We can rest in the hope and anticipation of the comfort that is to come. We've got a comfort that's coming. We know we get to see Jesus face to face. We get to be the bride at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And as Christians, we have a reason for that hope. We have that reason for hope that goes far beyond anything the world can imagine. Because we know how it ends. And we embrace an uncomfortable faith and an uncomfortable church because we know that one day we're going to be invited to that wedding supper of the Lamb. The event that all creation's been waiting for since the beginning of time. Been waiting for it. Waiting for the Messiah to come back. Waiting for that marriage supper of the Lamb. And it should move us to share our faith with others because we want everyone there with us. We want family there. We want our friends there. Each one of us knows someone who's not going to be there. What are you doing about it? Sitting in your comfortable zone? Not stretching your tent to talk to them about Jesus? Each one of us should... Be bold enough to do it. And it's interesting because the angel revealing this to John knows us. And I'm going to tell you how he knows us. He knows our tendency to lose hope. Our tendency to doubt. Well, is this really, is this really, really going to happen? Is what's inside here really true? Because at some point, I guarantee everyone in here has questioned it. Especially when you read some of the verses in here, you're like, really? And there's times that we may question it. But I think it's interesting that, what does the angel say? 
He tells John to write, these are the true words of God. These are the true words of God. You see, we need assurance in life. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded every day that this consummation is not a fairy tale. This isn't a fairy tale. It isn't some movie. It's a real event that's going to take place. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place. And we as a church are the bride. And we've got to realize that. And I think sometimes we forget. It's a promise that brings us the greatest comfort at all, of all. And Brett McCracken in his book actually says this. We are mysteriously part of a cosmic plan God has internally known, and we are in eternal inheritance. The discomfort and disdain we endure in this life as a peculiar people will be a blip in the timeline of our infinite history. We will at last be the perfect church we presently long for, the unembellished bride at an unimaginable wedding feast. The dream will be real. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we set our sights on each and every day. The wedding supper of the Lamb is coming. When it's coming, I don't know, and I'm not going to sit up here and say, well, this is the day it's going to happen because I'd be lying. But it's coming. And some of you have known it's been coming for years. You know, you've heard it in the 50s. Oh, it's intimate. It's going to be here soon. We've heard it in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. It may not be in my lifetime here on earth. I may not see the rapture. I may already be dead and gone and be there. But it's going to happen. It's coming. It is coming. It's the reason we wake up every Sunday morning. It's the reason we get out of bed instead of sleeping in. It's the reason we come to church. It's why we place ourselves in uncomfortable situations instead of remaining in our comfort zones. We have a hope that everybody needs. We have a hope, and we should embrace it. We should rest in it, and we should share it with everyone we come in contact with. Get uncomfortable. See, throughout this series, we've talked about the uncomfortable aspects of Christianity. We've talked about the importance of church community. We've talked about the reason for it all, the uncomfortableness that, that can either push you away from God or it can draw you so much closer. Closer than you've ever imagined. And if you feel uncomfortable at church or you feel uncomfortable in a small group or during a Bible study, when you're feeling that uncomfortableness, it can do one of two things. Either get you to press in that much more or get you to run away. And we see a lot of people in churches when it gets uncomfortable, they run away. They run away because the, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side until you get there. And then you bring your uncomfortableness with you and it becomes even more uncomfortable. The grass isn't greener on the other side. They may just water it a little more than we do. <laughs> when you get uncomfortable, press in. Press in. I find when I get uncomfortable and I start pressing in, it's because he's got a plan. And when I really start feeling uncomfortable because I feel the attacks of Satan, I know he's got a bigger plan. I know something's coming up that's bigger than I can imagine because Satan wouldn't be fighting so hard. 
Embrace that uncomfortableness. Embrace when you feel the attacks because that means God's about to use you in a mighty way. We are his bride. We will be there together. And in the end, being uncomfortable can be an opportunity to experience that grace, that mercy, and that love of God in in a tangible way that we've never felt before in our lives. But we've got to embrace it. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, Pastor Ken, I, I appreciate it. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with you talking about it. Well, that's good. If you're uncomfortable with me talking about it, maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, um, hello. As I say, that proverbial two by four to the back of the head. That's what he uses to get my attention. That proverbial two by four. And maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been uncomfortable saying, you know, I, I feel that prompting. But, but I feel uncomfortable going up and talking about it. Embrace the uncomfortableness. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior at the end of this service, after I say amen, you can come up. I'll be over to the side. You can come up. We can talk about it. And if you think you've got to get it all right, you're sadly mistaken because we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But God's word says that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Welcome to being very uncomfortable and living that Christian life. So if you've never accepted Christ, I encourage you, you know, come on up front, we'll talk about it. Well, maybe you've just gotten too comfortable. I've gotten real comfortable in my life. Lord, make me uncomfortable. Maybe you need to take that time to pray, and you can pray where you're at, or you can come up here to the altar and ask God to bring you back into that uncomfortableness and out of your comfort zone. That he will continue to speak to you and through you in mighty ways so you can affect change in other people's lives. Maybe you know someone who's not going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb because they don't know Jesus. What better way than to come up here and start praying for them by name that God, if he can't use you in their life, will use someone else in their life. But start praying by name for that person so you can see them that at the marriage supper of the Lamb so they can be part of the church of Jesus Christ and come together and join us as we present ourselves ready because we've got to be ready. He's providing the fine linens. We've got to do our part. Remain uncomfortable and be countercultural. Don't do what the world calls. Be different. Be so different they want to know what's different about you. And then tell them about your Jesus. Tell them about what Jesus has done in your life. Heavenly Father, I raise up this congregation to you. Lord, I raise them up that they will embrace their uncomfortableness and get out of their comfort zones. Lord, that they will truly pick up their cross and follow you daily. And Lord, that they will be so countercultural that people just have to come and see. That people have to come and see what it is that makes them so different. And Lord, that they will be shown you. 
And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you or maybe just needs to some prayer, or Lord, all of us know someone that don't know you, that we will pray for them by name so they can be with us at the marriage supper of the Lamb and be part of the bride, the church that you call us to be. And make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. 